0: Ephesians chapter 3, reading the whole chapter. Please excuse me if I get a bit croaky. The mystery of the gospel revealed. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ, Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, How the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.
1: Thanks, Dagmar. Good morning, everybody. And just before I begin, some of you may not have noticed, but um, the Patterson family snuck in towards the end. Matt, Priss, and little Josh, welcome. This is our first time to see Josh, right? Can you hold him up? No, you can't. (laughs) You've wrapped him in so tight that he's not going anywhere. Good to see you guys. We've been praying for you and so happy for you with your new family. All right, so Ephesians. Who's been reading Ephesians? Okay, well that worked. (laughs) I've encouraged you a few weeks ago to read Ephesians a few times and to... Um, and can I encourage you to do it again? Because it actually is really encouraging. And not just encouraging so it gets you kind of spiritually ready for church or life group or whatever, but it just is so encouraging just for normal life, the stuff that comes up in normal life. There's some really, really good encouragements in there that you can apply to your life. And um, I talked to a number of you, and I know that lots so are great. Read Ephesians. Read it and allow God just to... You know, open your eyes and to open your heart with it. Anyway, we're in a. am saying that because we're in a, a, a season of Ephesians. We're, re, we're in a little series on Ephesians that we're jumping in and out of. And we've reached chapter 3. We're almost halfway. And it has been so up there we learned about every spiritual blessing, that we were given every spiritual blessing. And Paul lists them off and he gushes and he goes on about how great these blessings are. Uh, in our lives, that we're holy, that we're set apart, that we're redeemed, that we're, we're adopted and that we belong to the family now. you know. And then he prays for wisdom and revelation that we would know God more and actually just not know about God but know God. Um, and that's always one of Paul's passions as he, as he writes all of his letters. He always asks those that he loves dearly and he loves all the churches he planted, he always asks that they would know God, not just know about God. And there is a difference, and and I think that's worth investigating. And he goes on to say, you'd know the hope of your calling, an amazing calling that you have, and that you would know the power that you have within you. And you know, some of you might remember that power is like the same power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead. How many of you have raised someone from the dead this week? Also no hands. You haven't read Ephesians, you haven't raised the dead. You're not doing real well. But that power is resident in us. And we talked about that, didn't we? And Paul helped us to see how amazing our salvation is in light of where we were. He says, you were dead. And remember those two words? And and, um, Roxanne found that really great song, you know? But God. He changed that. He made the exchange. You were dead. You were going nowhere. In fact, you were going down. And and things weren't looking good in the way that you were living. But God stepped right in and sorted it out. And Paul explains that and helps us to understand how great our salvation is and Joel last week helped us to understand the privilege of being one in Christ that the barriers are broken down the walls are gone the Gentiles who were once kept out and we're Gentiles by the way that we now belong in the family that that all the barriers are gone and that Paul calls for unity in the body of Christ and that we are no longer strangers we're no longer aliens we're no longer just visitors anymore we belong and, and God is building his church with all of us with Christ as his head. So it's been pretty encouraging this far and we've only gone through two chapters. Has that inspired you to read it yet? Yeah, I'm going to ask again next week, you know that don't you? Now we have to chapter 3 and Paul is still in encouragement mode for another chapter and he begins with those words for this reason. What reason? Well basically he's saying, because of all the stuff I've told you in the, in the last two chapters, because of the stuff that I've been talking about for this reason. And he wants to bring them before the Father in prayer. Again, this is the second prayer. And he wants to ask for some gifts for the Ephesian church. He's asking his Father for some specific gifts as they carry out their call, as they are the church in Ephesus. Remember that Paul has a reason for encouraging and I think that's true for us as well. When we read Ephesians, oh, know that it was written to us. Paul has a reason for encouraging. He knows what God has called them to. And he knows where they are and what the circumstances and the situation is where they are as well. So notice verse 1 and then notice 14. I don't know if you've got your Bibles open in front of you, but for this reason appears twice. He starts in verse 1, For this reason I, Paul, and then in verse 14... For this reason, what's that all about? Well, actually, in verse one, he starts for this reason, and he actually interrupts himself for a whole bunch of verses. It's like saying, "So, John and I went to the footy on Friday night. You know, John. He's the guy that I met back in high house out on on uh, out on the hill there, and and you know he works at the engineering place. And oh, gee, he's really good with. it. Have you seen the car that he's built in his garage? And oh, do you know what I mean? So he interrupts himself says, for this reason and then he gets interrupted. And an interruption, because it's an interruption, we could be tempted to just jump forward to see what the actual prayer is. But God's seen fit for this, that section to be in the Word. So I think it's not unimportant. And we must understand that it's not unimportant, that section. And that section, he's he's reminded or he's touched, in fact. The language is quite quite touched and quite encouraged. He's reminded by the fact that he was called specifically to be the one to reveal the mystery to the Gentiles, that he was the one. He got to tell them that they belong. They'd been told for generations and for years that they don't belong. They're not circumcised, they're not Jews, they don't belong. And he's just touched and he's just chuffed by the fact that he's the one that got to tell him you do belong you are part of it and he doesn't see himself as better not that anyone else couldn't have done it in verse eight he says you know he says to me though i am the very least of the saints this grace was given he considers that a grace now think of grace we talk about grace grace is salvation that's huge he's using the same word for the privilege that he got to share the truth with the gentiles and he considers it a gift that he got to bring light into the hearts of the Gentiles, you and I. Because we are Gentiles, remember. He's truly humbled by it and blessed that he got to do it. And remember, he's in prison. So he could be miserable. He could be a little bit miserable, but he's in prison. and He's saying, look, I'm just amazed by the grace. What a wonderful gift that I got to tell the Gentiles about the gospel. That makes me think... And that makes me want to ask myself and you, do you and I consider it a gift, grace, if we get to share the light with someone? Do we consider that an absolute gift? Like, wow, what a privilege that I get to tell someone about Jesus? Is it something that we covet, that we really desire? You know, like, like others get to do it, missionaries and that get to do it, but I want to do it. Please let me do it. It's an absolute gift. Do we consider it a gift to be able to share the light with someone? I've got to be honest and say that I don't ponder that nearly enough. What about you? Would we consider it a gift of God's grace if only we had the chance to share the gospel with someone this week or today or tomorrow? Paul did, because it is, you know, it is good news. It, it's good news and we're good at good news. You know, if your footy team won yesterday, footy season's back on, right? Okay, I know that I'm not a great footy person, but it's back on, right? Yeah. So who's team won? <laughs> See, it's good news. Now, if your team hasn't won for like half the season or even longer... And it wins on Saturday. And you come to church and you know that the team you played against is the other half of the church, which will be Geelong. That's three quarters of the church. But you know that your team beat them. You'll have good news. you would come into the door beaming with the good news. Wouldn't you be excited? We know how to tell good news, don't we? Is the gospel good news? Do you consider it a gift to share that good news? Makes me think. But Paul sees that it was for a greater purpose too. They are now, one, the church. They have the light now. And so that, he says in verse 10, through the church, God might be known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Have you ever seen that? Through the church, God might be known to the rulers and the authorities in heavenly places. Who are those rulers and who are the spiritual realm? They could only include God. Father, Son and Holy Spirit, the angels, perhaps Satan and the demons, that would be the spiritual realm, wouldn't it? Well, Paul's implication is that God's wisdom is becoming known even among angels of the spiritual realm as a result of what takes place in the church. That the church actually witnesses to do that, that we can do that with our worship, the way we sing songs, the way that we act with each other, the way that we get interested in the word. The church brings glory to God, even in the spiritual realm. Have you ever thought about that? Interesting. The Ephesian church has more purpose and power than they think as well. All churches, in fact. You know, and it talks about, he says, that God's manifold wisdom. Anyone know what a manifold is? Okay, I'm a car guy. You know what a manifold is, isn't it? You don't. The guys know. A manifold is you have one source and it comes out in lots of different places, right? So you have one, you have air coming out of something and if it goes into a manifold, it comes out into different arms, so God's manifold witness, he uses that word, is because God's wisdom is expressed in different ways to different places in different arms. And churches are all different. But the implication is that even though we're all different, even though some of us baptize adults and some of us baptize kids and, and we do things different or we think things different, that God's wisdom is manifest in the spiritual realm. Even one hope. Paul says that this was always the purpose of the church. There was always God's eternal purpose to do that, to express his wisdom through the church. And that they shouldn't lose heart in the struggle, that they can be bold and, and they can have access to Christ himself as their strength. And that's how he says. And we know that and we... We say a lot, don't we, that we want to bring glory to God. We say we want to bring glory to God with our worship. We want to bring glory to God with our lives. We, we talk about that a lot as individuals and as a church. Have you ever thought that God is made known to heavenly powers through you? Angels, demons, Satan, even God the Father, Son and Holy Spirit, that, that he makes himself known, he reflects himself through you to the heavenlies? that we remind them the authorities and powers of how great God is. And we can do that by praying against them. And you might have, once, you might have been in a prayer place sometimes where people actually speak to the enemy and, and bind the enemy and, and things like that. And we can do that sort of stuff. But Paul's actually saying when you're a church just doing God's will, just doing what God called you to do, and that's not just. When you're a church doing what God called you to do, that alone is speaking to the heavenlies. And he's declaring how great God is. How cool is that? You don't even have to make an effort. We can see our purpose here on earth and it's right. But this reminds us that we're called for something far greater than just our own salvation, our own individual salvation, our own sanctification journey. All those things are important, but there's a greater purpose. We're called to be the means by which God teaches the universe a lesson, a beautiful lesson. Lesson. Oh, and don't get upset because I'm in prison. I feel incredibly privileged, and so should you. That is not a bad interruption to a thought, is it? It's a pretty decent interruption. Anyway, John and I were going to the footy, verse 14. Anyway, back to what I was saying, for this reason, on behalf of the Gentiles, he says, for this reason, because of all God's done in you, He saved you and He brought you together and He broke down the barriers. And he's using you in Ephesus where it's hard. I want to ask the Father for four things. For you as individuals and as a church, I'm asking the Father to strengthen you with the power through his Spirit in your inner being, to dwell in your hearts through faith. I think we've got them up there, haven't we? To help you comprehend, get, comprehend is to get it, to get it, his all-encompassing love, and to fill you with all the fullness of God. What a shopping list! What a prayer list! Amazing that he asks the Father for those things for everybody, for the churches they unite, for the task that they knew with the power. We know that exercise and a good diet, good food. I learn a lot about good food at the office, don't I? I know what good foods were, and I, I we know that exercise, and I do a lot of exercise. Most of you know that, and I know that we all know that exercise and good food makes us stronger and it actually makes us resilient. We know that, don't we? We don't all abide by it. Me, definitely sometimes. But we know that it's true. We know that that's undisputed. Because then we have more power to deal with the demands on our bodies um, and the demands on our minds and our emotions because our body's all connected. It's not just about, you know, if I take exercise and physically I'm okay, but mentally I'm still struggling No, we know that it's all connected. We know that when we eat good food and we exercise well, we know that we strengthen our body and we have more power to deal with the demands of life. Well, Paul is praying that God would strengthen and give power to our inner man, our minds and our emotions and our spirit. And so the right exercise in that case is prayer. And growing our relationship with God. While the right food or the right um, sustenance is the word. That's how we open our inner man for God to strengthen it. We know that in life we've got to eat food and exercise. We know that we need to pray and get into the word for God to strengthen our inner man. And this is how the Ephesians, and Paul knew this, this is how the Ephesians would stay focused, they would stay strong, And strong of heart for his call. Remember, he talked earlier about the hope of of their calling, of our calling. And he knew that where they were. and, And this is how they would stay focused and strong. And this is how we stay focused and strong on what God has called us to do and be. Even when doubts creep in. You know, and and we all have those at times. When doubts creep in, when it gets harder to to focus on God, to read His Word, to pray or to to sense God. Uh, We know that life gets tough sometimes. But even when those doubts creep in, even when trouble puts pressure on, Paul knows that he, he prays rather that God would strengthen our inner man. And we go along with that by praying and reading His Word. Do we allow God to strengthen our inner man? By being in his word, by praying, by seeking his kingdom first. You know that scripture, seek first the kingdom of God, and then we know the rest of it, then all these things. It's kind of like strengthen our inner man, allow God to strengthen our inner man. God grant us the strength and power in our inner being to be the church, to be the people you called us to be. And an inner man that's strengthened is the perfect place for Christ to dwell. Paul says, doesn't he? He goes, strengthened with power through his spirit and your inner being so that, because if that's the case, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. Jesus comes and lives in us. You know, John 14, when, when Jesus is praying to the Father, he says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him john 14 and that dwell is the ancient greek word where he uses dwell is an ancient greek word for a permanent home jesus wants to settle move in put his furniture out hang his pictures on the wall put his toothbrush on the sink Jesus wants to settle down in your heart. He doesn't want to just visit as a stranger or doesn't want to just come on Sundays or come at life group nights or or come in your morning devotion. Paul's talking about dwelling. This is living in you, living as a part of every single part of your life. And and there's a difference to that than just inviting him into certain times and then living this schizophrenic life of Jesus me and, and the other me. I'm guilty of that. I think we all are sometimes so these first two requests that paul prays are connected we need spiritual strength to have christ dwell within us because there's something in us that resists the influence of an indwelling jesus and that something is usually me (laughs) us myself isn't it but that's through faith victory of faith when Christ dwells in our hearts, there's a peace that we can feel in spite of our circumstances. And there's a joy that we can access no matter what. You know, in Philippians is that scripture that says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. rejoice. What does it say? It doesn't say rejoice raging. Rejoice that you Ukraine. It says rejoice in the Lord. We can always rejoice in the Lord because the Lord is the Lord always, isn't he? So sometimes you're not rejoicing in your circumstances because sometimes things aren't good. But you can. That's why Paul says rejoice in the Lord because you are in Christ. So when we're strengthened, when we allow Christ to dwell in our hearts through faith, we can have joy. And that's not fake, oh, praise the Lord, I spilt the milk. Or praise the Lord, I just crashed the car. It's not what I'm talking about. It's about having that deep inner joy in the Lord. That's what, um, that's what that, when Christ dwells in our hearts, that's what we can do. And that's what the Ephesian church could do. And that's what Christ makes his home in our hearts. We can have joy, we can have peace, we can pursue and we can even serve a purpose. See, an empty house isn't serving any purpose. It's just an empty house. A house with the wrong or abusive tenants breaks down and needs a lot of fixing afterwards, those of you that have rental properties. But a home with the right indweller is serving its purpose. And that's what we're called to be, the home for Jesus, not a house that he visits every now and then. So then he goes on, that God would give us strength to to comprehend, to get his amazing love with all the saints. Did you see that he said? Where are we? in That you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. What's with all the saints? Because this is a together thing, isn't it? This is a a community thing. This is why we gather. This is why we worship. This is why church is important. A life group is important. Gathering as the body is important. Because God would give us strength to get together with all the saints the greatness of his love. Paul asked that they might be able to understand together in community every dimension of the love of Jesus, the breadth, the length, The height, the depth. Paul wanted them to know it by experience together with the saints. Not just in words, not just in reading it on the pages or having your morning devotions. Oh, look how great God's love is. Love grows when we experience it together with all the saints. Community is an important place that God helps us to get it, to get his love, to experience his love, his all-encompassing love. How does that work? Well, I just said like worship services, care team. Wow, they're a great expression in our church of, of, of one of the manifolds of God's love, isn't it? The support in life, grow groups, practical support when you need it in a, in a church, when you've had a baby or you're sick or, or things happen. Instruction for our kids and our youth, instruction in our church services. They're all places that God has given us together with the saints to comprehend His love how much he loves us the depth of and the height of God's love and Paul's been talking about that in the last couple of chapters a lot how far God went to show his love for us this is how we understand the dimensions of God's love we come to the cross that's what the cross is all about the cross pointed in four ways essentially in every every direction Because God's love is wide enough to include every person. God's love is long enough to last all through eternity. God's love is deep enough to reach the worst of sinners. And it's high enough to take us all the way to heaven. When you know that you're loved like that, you can walk in your calling. And you can work with the community of believers in that calling as well. When we gather, we remind each other of that love. That's what we're supposed to do anyway. And we all need reminding at times. I do. I'm sure that you do. I and mean, when you don't gather as community, when you, you don't get together with other believers for a long time or you don't gather, you begin to lose sight of those dimensions of love. You begin to come, become less and less in touch with the comprehension of God's love because it was meant to be completely displayed in community with the saints. And then Paul prays, the last one, that we would be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, I know that I've talked about this before, I've done this before, and this verse is still one of my favourite, if not most challenging verses in, uh, in the Bible. With all the fullness of God, that we would be filled with it. One commentator says this, um, I think we've got the quote up there. Have we got the quote up there? Yes, there it is. He says, among all the great sayings in this prayer, he's talking about this prayer, this is the greatest. To be filled with God is a great thing. To be filled with the fullness of God is still greater. But to be filled with all the fullness of God is utterly bewilders the sense and confounds the understanding. Have you ever thought about yourself being filled with all the fullness of God? you ever thought about that? What constitutes the fullness of God? I know I've done this before, but this is where you can participate. What makes up the fullness of God? Anyone? Can anyone describe God? That's what we're doing here. Peace, God is, He's peace. That makes up, that's part of His fullness. What else? Someone's going to say love, but that's true. We've just talked about that. Joy. Joy, what else? Loud. Suffering? No, I still can't hear Sovereign, Sovereign. yes, that's true. Yeah, come on, come on, there's so much more. What about creativity? How many of you... Would have put that long thing on the elephant, or put long-range tanks on a camel. What about creativity? What about power? What about passion? Does that part of the fullness of God? What about compassion? What about anger? Any others? Hmm. Justice. What about mercy? What about gracious? long-standing, eternal, oh, there's a good one, Majestic. majestic. Now, I could force the issue, we could be quiet for a bit longer and try to get, but seriously, we should be able to rattle off the attributes of God like that, shouldn't we? Because most of us have grown up reading them all the time, it's just that we don't talk in church, only the guy up front does that. But really, and now this is what Paul's praying, isn't he? He's saying, I pray that you would be filled with all the fullness of God. Think about those words and even the ones that we haven't said. How does that work? What is Paul actually asking for the Ephesians and for you and me? Can we be like God? Wait a minute, we're reformed. Can we be like God? Is, is that how it works? And if so, if we can, how, how does it happen? Okay, well, who embodies the fullness of God? give you a hint because you know, in Sunday school, if I asked that, they'd say Jesus. And they'd be right because here's the Scriptures. Jesus, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. See that word all? All the fullness of God. And Colossians 2, for in him the whole... Fullness of deity dwells bodily. You to believe that all the fullness of God is in Jesus. Would we agree with that? Yeah? Okay, we're on board. Who does the Bible call us to be like? Sunday schools would say? Jesus. Jesus. And who did we say we just wanted to have dwell in us? Jesus. Are you getting as we become more and more like Christ, which is what we're supposed to aspire to, as we are more and more in Christ, which is the language Paul uses often, we're filled with the fullness of God. Aren't we? We become like God. That's the, that's the goal. And yet we're going to live with Him in glory forever. And there's a supernatural, eternal element here. We can look forward to being, to when we will be completely in Christ. And we will completely be filled with the fullness of God when we're with him in glory. But Paul is praying for that. He's praying. He's helping them understand that as you're strengthened in your inner man, you understand how much God begins to grow in you. All of those things, all of those ways that we described God and all of the ways we didn't that are true is Paul's aspiration for the Ephesians and for us, that we would be like that that we will mirror all of those wonderful attributes and how is that even possible in the world the way that we understand it now the ephesian believers must have thought that they looked around themselves and it was difficult and think well how you know, how the heck how, how is that possible and you and i probably think the same when i'm telling you that you can be like god you're thinking you don't know me how is it even possible If they were to look at themselves, and if we look at ourselves only, then it's not possible. But let's read the last two verses, verse 20 and 21. We've got them up on the screen again. again. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. Oh, there's a connection. That powerful God is in us, that same power. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Paul reminds them in these last few verses of a couple of things. It's God's work and he is able to do it. He's the one that gave you the calling. He's the one that came to live in you. He's the one that saved you and he's more than able to do what I'm praying, what I'm asking him to do. And he's able to do more than we can think or imagine. And he'll do it abundantly. Did you see that word abundant? So, abundant means there's a margin. Like when you've got abundance of something, you can give some away and you've still got some. That means that God has a margin, a huge margin of power, of glory, and of love, even when he gives it to us abundantly. He's able. He's the one who called them to be believers. He's the one who called them to be the church in Ephesus. He's the one who called them to be the church at that point in history, in the situation, the place, and the time, the nation, the surroundings that they were in. And he called us, one hope, to be his people, his influences, in this time in history, in this town, in this place, with the people sitting around you, where you are. He's the one that did that. So he is more than able to give us all that we need to fill us with his power. And he reminds them again of that power, doesn't he? He spoke of it in Ephesians 1, the power at work that was within us. That power makes it possible to sustain our calling, to, to do what we're meant to do as individuals and as a church. And that power is at work in us, in our salvation, in our sanctification. And now enabling us, empowering us to be and do what he called us to be, both as individuals and corporately as a church. And the important thing is, it's for his glory. Paul's constant passion, always his goal with encouraging or instructing the church, it's for God's glory that the nations would see, that the world would see that God is indeed a great God. This includes you and I. You know, see, throughout all generations. So it wasn't just for the Ephesians, it was for us as well. What a powerful prayer that Paul prays for the believers in Ephesus and for us. And he knows that this prayer is not a futile or a huge ask. Or He he doesn't have to beg God. He knows that he's praying into God's own plan, God's own heart and God's own desire for his children. It's not to convince God. It's to remind the listener and us of what is true, what is already done in the heavenlies for us, what God has already done, who he already is. How complete is our salvation and call when you read this sort of stuff, when you read these first three chapters of Ephesians? How absolutely abundant and complete is God's work in our life? Nothing left to tell God when you read these three chapters. How far-reaching, how deep, how intimate is it? How thorough is his support of his children as they walk out the call? The Ephesian church and you and I in your life, with him, with each other, together. How great. So many riches for us in these, final, in these last few chapters. So many things that will enable the Ephesians to be people and to, to be a people and a church that can be really effective where they are, that can really give you a testimony to God. And that's true for us as well. We don't want to just tell the community that we meet here on Sundays. Who has done amazing things for us and can do exactly the same for them. Who's changed our lives and can do exactly the same for them. Who knows everything and knows exactly the same about them. It's true for us as well. We can be a people and a church with that power. But the Ephesian church to, the, to, the, to Ephesus, it needs to be visible and working on the inside. In our own hearts, we need to know it. That's why I keep telling you to read Ephesians and ponder it. In our own hearts, that needs to be working, but it also needs to be working in our community. Ultimately, that's what our witness is. That's what will speak to the community, us as a community. So the Ephesian church, and we have responsibilities that come with these riches, and that's why we're calling it Riches and Responsibilities. And we'll see as we read on, we'll see how Paul encourages, but also instructs the church how to live out responsibly the riches that God's lavished on us. So read on, people. I encourage you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, um, yeah, again, we just want to be grateful for your word. We just want to thank you for um, the specifics that Paul goes into that that, uh, are just so undoubted and so in our face that we can see that there is nothing that we've missed out and There's nothing that you haven't done. There's nothing that you haven't prepared for or that you haven't completely dealt with. All the way to our sin And the way that we have rejected you. You've even taken care of that in your son, Jesus. What a grace that is. Well, Lord, thank you that you don't leave us there and say, well, I've saved you now, work it out. But that, Lord, that you strengthen us in our inner man, that you come to live with us, that you remind us again and again of the greatness of your love and just the the far reach of your love. And, Lord, that you're filling us with all your fullness of all the greatness of who you are, your love, your joy, your passion, your compassion, your, your mercy for us as Christ dwells in us. And we just want to praise you and thank you for truth. Lord, I confess that there's no way that I access that enough, that I spend so much time trying to sort my own life out or trying to you know, craft or design my own life or, or make sure I'm covering for myself and it's a wasted effort because you've done daily, not just on Sundays or at LifeGrip, but remind me daily to strengthen my inner being, to allow you, Jesus Christ, to dwell in me, to know your love, really know it, and to work on being filled with the fullness of God and be an accurate reflection, a mirror to the world of a great God who deserves my glory and our glory.